You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Thank you for the beautiful singing, uh, and welcome to Grace Community Church. If this is your first Sunday here, um, you're here on a very full morning. Uh, very glad that you were here. So grateful that you chose to worship uh, with us today. Um, I wanted to take just a few moments and talk about something that's really near and dear uh, to my heart. Well, I, I noticed that I made myself a note to say we need to take down the decorations. That is not near and dear to my heart. <laughs> I just seem to be Christmas all year long. I'm weird like that, but... <clears throat> Uh, stay fair in Christmas. If we could just have that, you know, we'd be good. Um, but so please, please, please stay after the service today. We do need help uh, taking down these decorations. Many hands make light work. Won't take long at all. Um, but something near and dear to my heart, South Wake Bible Institute classes began two weeks from tomorrow, January the 21st. And there are two classes. I want to encourage many of you to go to these classes. It costs $100 to go. You're going to get a textbook with that. You will have assignments. It's work. It is not. You can ask the people that took classes this past year. There's some work to it, but it's going to take you to another level. The two classes we have, first one is apologetics being taught by Don Sandberg, who is an amazing teacher. That's uh, Jim and Joy Acock's son-in-law. <clears throat> That's, I'm sure, why he's so amazing. Acocks have rubbed off on him. Uh, but here's the description. This class investigates the arguments that may be used to defend and promote the Christian worldview. And folks, look, <clears throat> preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel with people is as much these days about sharing a Christian worldview, a biblical worldview, as it is saying Jesus died for you. People aren't even ready for that anymore until you have talked about worldview issues because they can't get past those. So this class will prepare you to how, <clears throat> how to promote a Christian worldview as well as strengthen the faith of believers. It equips students to dialogue with non-Christians about the validity of belief in Christianity over all other beliefs. It examines rational arguments for the existence of God the deity and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the trustworthiness of the Bible, as well as a theological response to the problem of evil. Another class that will be taught <clears throat> this semester is a class on the Psalms. Dave Brown, my dear, dear friend, and whose insights have helped uh, the messages here at Grace considerably, uh, is going to be teaching Psalms. It's a study of the book of Psalms. With attention given to the structure and unity of the book, Hebrew poetry, types of psalms, themes in the book, <clears throat> human authors, its place in the canon of scripture, and its contribution to our understanding of the history of redemption. We will look for Jesus in the psalms. He will not be hard to find. Encouraging you also to look for yourself by identifying with the emotions, perspectives, outlooks, and expectations of the authors, finding encouragement to trust the Lord and finding words to help you express your prayers and praises to Him. 
You know, if I were to ask you, how many of you would say that Romans is your favorite book of the Bible? A bunch of you would. How many of you say the Gospel of John is your favorite book of the Bible? A lot of you would. <clears throat> We're going to be moving into the Gospel of John next Sunday. Uh, if I asked about Isaiah, I, I don't know how many would say, yes, it's really deep waters, and I'm really glad I know about it, but I'm not going to say it's my favorite book of the Bible. Man, the descriptions of Christ's crucifixion are some of my favorite anywhere, and the, the purposes in addition to... <coughs> the details about it, <clears throat> but when we came to Psalms, if I said, how many of you would say Psalms is your favorite book of the Bible? A lot of you would raise your hand, and, and, and you would have one identifying characteristic. You'd almost all be older, because the Psalms cover almost every circumstance and emotion of life, and when you go through valleys, the words that you find in the Psalms are so encouraging and comforting and strengthening. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to encourage a lot of you. If you're over 50 years old especially, I want to encourage you to sign up for this class. If it's a couple, look, if, you, if it's a financial issue, we can help with scholarships. We, we, we'll find a way. But... You need to be seeing the Psalms at a much deeper level. And it's not going to think, oh, wow, there's so much structure here. I just was encouraged by it. It's going to deepen your appreciation for the Psalms and the way that God designed them to help us. So, uh, all who are going to take classes, stand if you... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, it's funny. Uh, my first words of introduction to the message. It's a question, really, and it comes right after talking about how we're going to go deep in the Word this year by going uh, to these classes. So Monday night, 7 to 9 o'clock, it's worth it, believe me. Apologetics, especially for you younger types, Psalms for you older folks, and doesn't matter. Go, it goes back and forth, but, but get in those classes. So here's the question, odd question after all that. Do you Believe in God. Look, your, your presence here this morning indicates that almost all of you would say, yes, I believe in God. Some of you might say, I, I, I think so. I, I think I do. And in fact, I'm here because I want to think about that a little bit more. In, in my teenage years, there was a band formed called Blood, Sweat, and Tears. You remember, anybody remember Blood, Sweat, and Tears? Uh, spinning wheel. And you made me so very happy. I'm singing to Alice in my life. Uh, uh, I'm so glad you came into my life. But now here's, here's another one that they sang. It's not so good. And when I die. And here are a few of the lyrics. I'm not, not scared of dying and I don't really care. If it's peace you find in dying, well, then let my time be near. And then he goes on to say, I can swear there ain't no heaven, but I pray there ain't no hell. That's a pretty good prayer if you're thinking that. But if you're praying, you're suspicious that there might be a heaven and a hell. Now, if you remember the song, I apologize for getting that tune in your mind. You know you're going to have to mess with that. 
Uh, I had to listen to Guess Who Share the Land many times to just get it out of my head. So that's a good suggestion. According to the most recent uh, Pew Research poll, 56% of Americans say that they believe in the God of the Bible, while one-third say that they believe in some sort of spiritual being, though not the God of the Bible. There are only 10% of Americans who say that they don't believe in any higher being or spiritual force. And if you add those numbers up, it's going to be 98. It'll drive you crazy. Just deal with it. I don't know where the other 2%, probably some are here this morning. I don't know where you've been. <laughs> I can't say for sure, but I imagine these were the kinds of numbers that the prophet Isaiah would have encountered when he prophesied back in 700 B.C., uh, 56% of Judeans may have said, oh yes, I believe in the God of Torah. In this Isaiah study, we have repeatedly encountered the Lord speaking to his people through the prophet. And, and I should have said this earlier. If you're here for the first time, we're finishing up almost a year's worth of, of messages in Isaiah Today and, I sh and, and, and God has said over and over to the people of Israel, God's chosen people, to the Judeans specifically, you are using the right words, you're doing the right things, but your hearts are far from me. When push comes to shove at a, at a whim, you're off abandoning me for another idol or for an idol, or for a political superpower, or a trinket that appeals to your flesh. So, this has been a very profitable year for me. I hope it has been for you. We'll talk in home groups this week about what we've learned in the book of Isaiah. Actually, you'll talk about that. We'll have a whole lot of notes for the, for the leaders. Just what have we learned together in this study of Isaiah, to give a synopsis of the study or to review in any detail at all would keep us from some of the important truth found in these last 11 verses of Isaiah that we're looking at today. I said last week it would be 10, but I'm incorporating 14, verse 14, uh, up through verse 24 of chapter 66. Uh, if you've not here, been here for the entire series and you want more foundation, then I would encourage you the best way is to go to our website and access the series on Isaiah and then go to the sermons on chapters 1, 40, and 56. Those chapters introduce sections, three primary sections of Isaiah, sections of chapter 1, chapter 40, and chapter 56. The title of today's message is Heaven and Hell. Appreciated Andrea's, where is she? I'm pointing to her sister. Yeah, yeah. Alex over there. Um, <clears throat> you can both thank me afterwards. Right? So that's maybe the best way. I don't suppose there's anything controversial about this uh, title, is there? Especially with 50%, 6% of Americans believing the God of the Bible and a much higher percentage in here. Andrea mentioned it this morning. Some of her closing remarks, I was grateful for that. Because it's the last Sunday in Isaiah... I want us to read all 11 verses in chapter 66 that we're looking at today, the last 11 verses. 
On Sunday mornings, I usually will read the text and then we'll look at sometimes just spend a while in the text trying to find out what it means and then give some points of application or reference. This morning, I'm giving points that are really more descriptive of, of, of the verses, but that's for your benefit later if you want to go back and study these um, uh, on your own. But I want, you to, I want to mention these ahead of time and then ask you to look for them as we read the text. So first of all, the personal blessing of deliverance from sin. In Isaiah 66, 14. And then the judgment, or judgment and the gospel in hostile territory. For believers, hostile territory is everywhere. And God's judgment is there, and the gospel goes there, the good news. Third, the family of God worshiping Jesus, now and in eternity doesn't always look like we think it ought to look. And then fourth, the truth about God's final judgment. Isaiah 66, 24. It's not the ending you would expect in Isaiah. So, look for these points as the text is read. I will be reading from Isaiah 66, verses 14 through 24. It's our custom at Grace Community Church to stand as the scriptures read. So, if you would please stand. For the reading of God's word. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. God speaking to his people. You shall see and your heart shall rejoice. Your bones shall flourish like the grass. And the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants. And he shall show his indignation against his enemies. For behold... The Lord will come in fire and his chariots like the whirlwind to render his anger and fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. <clears throat> For by fire will the Lord enter into judgment and by his sword with all flesh. And those slain by the Lord shall be many. Those who sanctify and purify themselves to go into the gardens following one in the midst, eating pig's flesh and the abomination and mice shall come to an end together, declares the Lord. For I know their works and their thoughts and their time is coming together, all nations in tongue, and they shall come and see my glory from all nations of the world. I'm not going to spend time <clears throat> explaining this verse too much, just give a little description. But, but he's talking about people from all nations coming. And I will set a sign among them. And from them I will send survivors to the nations. To Tarshish, Pul, and Lud. Who draw the bow to Tubal and Javan. To the coastlands far away. That have not heard my fame or seen my glory. Now look, this is hard to figure out and understand. But essentially he's, he's saying... That I'm going to draw Gentiles in to see my glory. And then Gentiles are going to go out to bring my people, the Jews, back. This is very interesting. And they shall declare my glory among the nations. <clears throat> and they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord. 
on horses and in chariots, in litters and on mules and on dromedaries or camels, to my holy mountain, Jerusalem, says the Lord. Just as the Israelites bring their grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. And some of them, Gentiles, also I will take, and other Jews who have been saved, I will take for priests and for Levites, says the Lord. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. From new moon to new moon, from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. And then that ending, you just don't expect. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For their worms shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. Wow, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we know not only that you make no mistakes, but that you do all things well. <clears throat> Lord, um, we have learned much this year in the book of Isaiah about God's glory in salvation through judgment. And Father, we're so thankful that the judgment fell on Jesus rather than us. Give us hearts to believe. May your goodness lead us to repentance and bring life to our bones. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and be seated. Our study of Isaiah this past 10 plus months uh, has been greatly informed by John Oswald in his wonderful New International Commentary on the Old Testament. Uh, I'm, I'm showing the second of two uh, commentaries. Maybe one of the reasons that the Lord led me to preach through Isaiah is that I had had some con contact with this commentary many, many years ago. Uh, and um, you should know that no less than six of the staff and elders have preached through the book of Isaiah, maybe more. Didn't take the time to count them all up, but I know of at least six of us. And I, I, I would go back and listen to those messages online after or through the podcast after they had been preached. And almost every single time this guy's name was mentioned, I'm telling you, Oswald, reading through this commentary has been such a blessing to me. And I just want you to know how important his work has been in our study this year. And probably the best thing to do is just to have a list of quotes, uh, you know, from, for the rest of the time here. But alas, I have been called to preach and, you know, about those preachers. So I will be uh, sharing from the Word and give some direct quotes from Oswald, but also... Um, you can just know that his work is influencing a great deal of what is said this morning. So back to the first point. The personal blessing of deliverance from sin. One of the big mistakes that American believers make about their relationship with the Lord is that it's 
almost too personal. It, it, it's so divorced from the church. It, it's so independent that they miss the importance of the covenant community of God. God designed for us to be in covenant community. And look, if you're not connected with a body and you just go from church to church every two or three years, if that's your case, if that's your history that you go from church to church every two to three years, can I encourage you, whether it's grace or the next church, but sit down, sit still. Allow people to get to know you. If you're all there, out there all on your own, there is no accountability. There's no direction. Look, we cannot even interpret scripture alone. If you think that what I say up here on Sunday morning is just based on my study, not so. The elders talk about it. We're all studying together. We're constantly sending one another links and articles. And whenever in, in home group, time after time after time, I think, or I say to the home group, man, where were you before I preached this morning? You Because know, we meet on Sunday afternoons. We learn together. Like Martin Luther said, nobody gets a private interpretation of Scripture. But we're all invited to the public interpretation of Scripture. If Luther said it, very, and it's very appropriate in this uh, particular message today. If we all... Uh, interpreted scripture our own way, then we'd all be going to hell in a separate way. You know, you can't, you can't. It's not designed that way. We're designed to learn together. The personal nature of our relationship with God, however, cannot be denied. And it is prevalent in our text. Verse 14, you shall see and your heart shall rejoice. Your bones shall flourish like the grass and the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants and he shall show his indignation against his enemies. To know Yahweh or in our context to know Jesus is to have life. It is to be removed from the ranks of God's enemies and placed into the family of God. Do you remember when you were first saved or when the full impact of your relationship with Christ came upon you? How much rejoicing there was in your heart? It was like life to your bones. And when you fully grasp your condition over here before you're saved, <clears throat> when you fully grasp what it means to be apart from the Lord and to be the object of his wrath and to be considered his enemy, it is likely to, to induce both shivers of fear and a rejoicing heart of deep gratitude. In our day, it is sometimes difficult to determine who belongs to the Lord and who does not. Scripture tells us all kinds of things like, by their fruit you shall know them. And it gives little markers all along the way, but then... We don't know, do we? We don't know who belongs to the Lord and who does not. It's not going to always be that way. In the final day, there will be a clear distinction between his cherished one and his enemies. And the ones who belong to the Lord will belong to him because they have a personal relationship <coughs> with Jesus Christ. The beginning of 1 John sounds an awful lot like Isaiah 66, 14. 
that which was from the beginning. This is the Apostle John writing many years after his time with Christ on earth. Maybe close to 60 years later. He's an old man at this point. We, 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 we tend to think uh, when this was written. And he's saying that which was from the beginning. We're going to hear those words. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. John 1.1. 1, 1. In two weeks we will get to that. Now in 1 John 1.1 1, 1, he's going right back. Saying that which was from the beginning. Which we have heard. Which we have seen with our eyes. Which we have looked upon. And have touched with our hands. We touched him. Concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. And verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father. And with his son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Here's the division. Those who belong to God, those who are the enemies of God. Family of God, enemies of God. Belong to Jesus, don't belong to Jesus. We'll see it over and over. Remember God's goodness to his children as we think about this next point. Judgment and the gospel in hostile territory. America's a melding pot, we say. We're divided right now on a lot of different issues. But in the end, we all try to come together. We try to say, look, we're one. Let's put our differences behind. And it's not easy to do for any of us. It's not been good in America, this experiment. Some people think, oh, it's just fine. Others think, well, that's because you don't know anything about it. But our desire is out of many, one. We are one nation <clears throat> the gospel divides very clearly you're this way or you're that way it's interesting that so many today want a judgment free God when they themselves display hearts of judgment toward others who among us do that we all do that verses 15 and 16 are difficult verses to read and hear if you do not belong to Jesus, if you do belong to him, these verses hold no fear for you. Sobering though they are meant to be for those who give little to no thought to eternity. Do not become so distracted. This is the other thing that Andrea said today. Don't become so distracted with your own interest or with the culture that you forget this truth. One day... All will stand before God. Hear this from John Oswald. Human rebellion can no more stand up to the terrible presence of God than a field of wheat can stand up to a tornado. If we survive in his presence, it can only be because he has done something to make that survival possible. And we have entrusted ourselves to him to do it. You remember, don't you, the divisions of Isaiah, Isaiah 1 through 39. Be righteous, and if you don't, you're in big trouble with me. And guess what? Nobody can do it. So Isaiah 
Now, 40 through 55, he says, since you cannot do it, and I want relationship with you, I will send Jesus, who will take the punishment that lawbreakers deserve. And then chapters 56 through 66, he's saying, live righteously, and it's not up to you to do it like it was before Christ. In Christ, I will live righteously through you. So, if we survive in his presence, it can only be because he has done something to make that survival possible. And we have entrusted ourselves to him to do it. Beautiful words of gospel truth. To trust in oneself. To trust in oneself To stand righteous before God is to invite God's judgment. Throughout the book of Isaiah, idolatry has been loudly and understandably condemned by the one true God. Now in verse 17, God says that those who approach religion as nothing more than ritual or routine are disgusting in his sight. As those who are open. Idolaters. Now look. Again this is one of the reasons I wanted to take two weeks in Isaiah 66. It would have been much neater to wrap it up. Last week on the last Sunday of of the year. But we've got to hear this and hear it well. God (coughs) is disgusted with those who. Approach religion as nothing more than routine. Because it's very self-centered to say, I've done this, this, and this. Well, of course, God will let me in. And I know when you hear words like that, this is disgusting to God. It's like, wait a minute, who's God to be done? Wow, is it? Remember, you're talking about God. You're talking about a good and gracious and, and loving God who sent his son to die for us. But if you reject Jesus, look at Psalm 2. There's wrath coming. He will mock those who reject his son in the end. There's a great deal at stake, and Isaiah's not letting us forget it at the very end of his book. So what's the remedy to all this? The gospel, of course. And when we believe the good news that Jesus died for us and we have repented of our sins and our faith is in him, we, our hearts should be moved to respond quickly and, and, and passionately to the great commission in Matthew 28 with a willingness to take the gospel to hostile lands. And all you have to do to do that is to go to your family reunion, right? It's, uh, uh, that's, that, that's a hostility of another kind. Uh, maybe we should... Uh, Admit that anyway. Verses 18 to 21 would be complex even if we were studying far more carefully than we're able to do on Sunday mornings. So perhaps the best thing to do is to provide a sentence of explanation for each verse and then, and then encourage you to do the study if you so desire. And as you can imagine, there's a great deal of debate about uh, these verses. John Oswald would not be a dispensationalist, but he's talking about how the Jews are brought back to the Lord in the end, just like Romans 11 does. Um, 
and, the, and he uses the Gentiles to do them. So verse 18, people from all nations, not just Israel, not just Judeans who have been taken into captivity, people from all nations will be brought to God. Verse 19, God's judgment on his people will bring purification and deliverance to some in distant places. That's what we are talking about last week. The judgment must begin first at the household of God. And, and when he judges his people, he purifies his people for reasons that we'll see in just a few moments. Verse 20, as Jewish Christians, this is a beautiful thought, as Jewish Christians took the gospel to the world in the early days of the Christian faith, in the last days, Gentile believers will take the gospel to Jewish people, bringing them back to the Lord. All based around that new heaven and new earth, the new Jerusalem. That city so imported in the Lord's heart and mind. And then verse 21, God's final shocking order for his people. It's shocking to the Jews when he says, I will make Levites of these people. It's so shocking that it has to be intentional, Oswald says. Now, the third point. The family of God worshiping Jesus now and in eternity. Sin will never again stain the, the world when the new heavens and the new earth are here in force. Or when they're here, period. When God cleanses this earth, he cleanses the heavens. And he takes care of all the destructive elements that are, that, that are being caused by sin, that are in motion because of sin. The new heavens and the new earth promise a time when sin will never again stain the earth. In the meantime, God's design is for the covenant community of the Lord. That would be us. The church for the covenant community to be so attractive that the lost will come to the world or come to the Lord. I'm sorry, but we cannot attract those who are in the world if we look just like them. If there is no distinction, which is why God purifies us. Once again, John Oswald, it's commentary on verse 23. It's a good word for the church. Israel is not to be separate so that it can revel in its separateness, but so that its faith can survive to be declared. When separation becomes an end in itself, it has become just a more arcane form of idolatry. But if Israel had allowed itself to be absorbed into the pagan religions around it, as it was constantly in danger of doing, there would have been no faith to declare. Close quote. The distinctiveness of what we believe is just one reason that God calls us to be together every week on Sunday, why the first day of the week is set aside for us to be here and to hear this truth and to remind us when, when all week long we're tempted to doubt because the culture is like, come on, you can't believe that. You can't. 
You know what position you put yourself. We're called to remember who we are in Jesus Christ. You get Oswald's point, don't you? We don't exist as an exclusive club that shuts out the world and cares only about itself. We gather here to be taught and to be sent. We're called to go into the world and share God's truth with all people. On the other hand, if there is no distinction between the church and the world, then what's the point? God's truth, as difficult as it may be, is non-existent to the world when we are just like the world. And we refuse to believe these words about judgment and say, no, it's all love. It's all, let's just all get along. It's one of the reasons judgment begins at the house of God. But the judgment of God's people is nothing compared to the judgment that waits for his enemies. And that's the final focus of Isaiah. Number four. The truth about God's final judgment. Whenever I am privileged to share Christ with others. Or when I at least have an opportunity to present a biblical worldview. The greatest difficulty for me is to share my belief. In the, in the truth that scripture teaches. That at the end of time. Those who don't believe in Christ will spend eternity suffering in hell. It is, though, not only a distinctive of Christianity. It is the final word of warning to those who do not know Jesus. Again, in context, in Isaiah, Isaiah 66, 24. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For their worms shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. Isaiah 66, 24 is the verse to which Jesus referred in Mark 9. If you'll look up all of those verses, 43 through 48, when he described eternal punishment for those who don't believe in him. To look on one's enemies in the Old Testament was to look on them victoriously. It's, it's almost the equivalent of standing on the neck of your enemy. It's to look on them and, them and essentially say, we won. Now look, the New Testament tells us we are never, ever, ever to gloat over the condition of those who are lost. In fact, we are to beg God for their salvation. And we are to call on him. And Paul said, went so far as to say, I would spend eternity in hell myself if God would allow my brothers and sisters, the Jewish nation, to be saved. So to gloat over those who don't believe is not the point at all. For us to believe that God will judge his enemies, though is so important to the Lord that he ended the book of Isaiah with this verse. And thus ends our study of the book of Isaiah. Although I will add this postscript. Although Jesus is never called by name in the book of Isaiah, he is in every chapter with special fo focus and emphasis in the servant songs beginning in 
Isaiah 42, uh, that, that, that give us the cause and the details of Jesus' crucifixion as clearly as anywhere in all of Scripture. In the book of Isaiah, you see Jesus on his way. You see him scourged. You see him crucified. You see the separation between him and God for bearing God's wrath against sin and against sinners. In the book of Isaiah. And as we bring our study of Isaiah to a close, and as we move toward the Lord's table for communion, I want to read once again from 1 John. But it's 1 John 5, verses 10 to 12. And then the last two verses of 1 John uh, chapter 5, verses 20 to 21, with, which have, with, this book has just as an odd an ending as Isaiah does. To me, it, it, it is anyway. It just feels like, oh, okay, that's it. That's it. You know, you see some things, you're at a movie or a play or something, and it has a weird ending, and you're like, okay, <laughs> okay, let's go home then. Um, so 1 John chapter 5, verse 10, it's going, to be our, it's going to be the perfect conclusion. I think you're going to see this to the, to the study in Isaiah. 1 John 5, 10, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. So, in other words, to say, I, I, don't, I, don't, I just don't believe that. You're essentially saying, so God is a liar. The stakes are big. The stakes are high. This is serious stuff. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Is it that clear? This is the division. Those who know Jesus have life. Those who do not know Jesus, those who reject Jesus, those who say he was a good man, but I don't. God, I don't know. That's the, that's the di distinction. And now these last two verses of 1 John. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. So that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. I say it all the time. Why do we believe? We just do. Because two people can hear the message of Jesus Christ. And one say. Not only does that make sense. But oh. Oh, uh, oh God save me. I see myself. As you have. Identified me to be as a sinner. Save me. And the other one says. It doesn't make any sense at all to me. You're telling me that I can be this really incredibly good person. I can give money everywhere. I can do this, 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 and this. And then there's this murderer, this rapist, this person who is an awful human being. And if they call on Jesus, then they're saying, look, it's not that simple. When you see your sin as God has called your sin, 
then you realize that all of us are helpless and hopeless apart from Jesus Christ. When you repent of your sins, you are all the way undone. Oh, God, forgive me. I believe in Jesus. But there are all kinds of excuses for the enemies of God who say, yeah, look, I just don't buy it. I don't get it. Why do we believe? He's given us understanding. We just do. And then verse 21. Isn't this bizarre? Little children, keep yourselves from idols. And is it not the perfect ending to the book of Isaiah? All about idolatry. All about your focus being in the right place. And here it is again. A personal relationship with Jesus. Either you have it or you don't. That's what distinguishes the children of God from those who are outside the covenant promises that are given to God's children. It's not, are you a member of the church? Have you been baptized? Baptism is incredibly important. David has mentioned, we're having one on February 24th, I believe it is. Is that right? February 24th. Talk to me if you've not been baptized. You're a believer. You need to. But that's not, your baptism is not what enables you to go to heaven. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not a matter of good works that are done in this world. Instead, the question is this. Do you know Jesus? What have you done with Jesus? Or, or maybe a little more theologically accurate. What has Jesus done with you? Has he captured your heart? Do you believe in him? Do you live for him? Do you belong to Jesus? Or not? Do you belong to Jesus? That's the question for us as we end Isaiah. And as we come to this table, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for giving us understanding that we could have never have had on our own. We thank you for calling us into the family of God. We in no way look down on others who don't know Jesus. One day we will cry with the martyrs, how long, O oh Lord? But our, everything about us will be perfect at that point. We'll be just like Jesus, just like Jesus in the manner that you have determined for us. In glory, when sin no longer has a say in our lives. So, Lord, in this day, as we finish this great prophecy of Isaiah, may we see the seriousness with which you have called us to think and to live in light of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And we pray as we come to this table that you would be with us and that you would give us a greater understanding and nourish our hearts as the body of Christ in this place as we come to the table. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.
I'm going to ask elders, deacons, worship team, if you would come forward uh, and um, prepare for uh, communion. Here's the way we will do it today. We have the Lord's, we meet at the Lord's table twice a month. The first Sunday of the month, we come forward. The third Sunday of the month, we pass where you remain in your seats. But for now, uh, I just want to give you instructions of how we're going to do this in just a moment. We'll set the table. I will do that first for us from the Word. And then we're going to come up the interior aisles and go to the station that's in front of you. You will receive both the bread and the juice uh, at this station. We invite all those who have trusted Jesus Christ. If you say, yes, I, I am part of that group that is distinguished as being in Christ then we invite you to come and participate with us. Um, go to the station in front of your section. Some sections will get kind of backed up, and toward the end, if it's one section is open, your section is, is it's got a line, then you can come to the other uh, section. There will be ushers to help you with all of that. Uh, you can partake in the front, or you can go back. Um, there will be someone in the back. If you're unable to come, you prefer not to come for health reasons or whatever, just raise your hand and we will serve you at your seat. As you come, think about what makes this organization that you are a part of different from any other organization. Whatever civic club, neighborhood club, whatever it is, this is the body of Christ. Really, it's even more meaningful to a lot of people than their own families if there are so many in their families who don't know Christ. That's not an encouragement for you to think less of your family at all. But sometimes many of us come from families where <clears throat> not many people in your family believe. I am blessed that that is not the case in my family, but I know some of you, you're one of the few that believes. <clears throat> and so as we come forward, think about your connection with the body of Christ. The elders and deacons serve you in the front. So we will partake first. The servers and the worship team will partake first. And then we will invite you. The ushers will invite you to come. We'll again come get these interior aisles. Go back up the middle and the outside aisles. <clears throat> in Matthew's gospel. <clears throat> the culmination of Jesus <clears throat> Life and ministry on earth was at hand. He was to die, be buried, and three days rise again. And before he suffered, we're told in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. Now as they were eating, <clears throat> Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take eat. This is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus died for the forgiveness of our sins. If you've been at the Lord's table, maybe in some churches, it's like, if you've got any sin in your life, you better not partake. No, no, no. If you've got unrepentant sin in your life, don't partake. 
If you committed the same sin that you've committed a thousand times this week and you're feeling guilty, it's why Jesus died. Ask him to forgive you and come and be nourished for your sanctification, for your edification, for the building up of the body of Christ at this table. This, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, oh, this is the day. This is the day if, if what we have said about the forgiveness of sins makes sense to you. God is calling you. God is calling you to believe, to say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me from my sins. I believe that Jesus died to me. Dear Lord Jesus, save me. You don't even have to say that. You just have to say you believe. But I think most of us want to, to say, save me, Lord. I, I am undone apart from you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. If there is sin in your heart that you just need to confess to the Lord, do so right now. And then... The team who is leading us today will serve, be served first, and then we will partake. Let's pray. Father, we give thanks for the birth, life, death, suffering, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. We believe that Jesus ascended to be at the right hand of the Father where he ever makes intercession for us. And it's the, on the basis of the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sins. This day, Lord, this day calls us to believe. This day, as we partake of the bread and the juice, may our hearts be renewed and may you bring life to our bones. And Lord, perchance, if there is someone who does not know Jesus, may this be the moment they cry out in their hearts to you. Save me, Lord Jesus. Thank you for our time at the table. Bless this meal. In the name of Christ our Savior, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.